0: Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Here's the second part of my interview with Keith Kedew. Uh, the show notes for this episode where you can get more information about keith and his books um, again i really recommend his newest uh, work an anthology he co-edited called the shadow over porridge in maine uh, i wrote the introduction for that book and i also have a short story unit under the name richard crow uh, and it has a variety of you know really excellent work by a lot of different people um david annandale is in there um uh mean, a lot of great people. Daria Patry has a nice one. Gaze O'Reilly, John Stinsey, A lot of really interesting contributors. And uh, Keith's story, Stuck, uh, is really excellent. It's uh, something we discuss in these two uh, different interviews. If you haven't already listened to it also, uh, the first part of this interview is available uh, as its own podcast episode. Uh, Again, um, I took a very long interview with Keith that... Where he and i responded to student questions uh, in a university creative writing course that i was teaching and uh, i split it up into two different episodes so you will hear uh, us respond to student questions that were previously prepared you know written down i had one piece of paper in front of me uh, both i and keith were answering those questions and also kind of just you know talk to him about his work and about uh, you know various writing publishing topics so uh, this is the second part. Again, the first part is available as its own episode. Um, show notes for this episode is at jonathanball.com/three. It's at jonathanball.com/three. And without further ado, here's Keith Kadiu. There were a couple questions, like about just about approaching publishing uh, houses. Like, how do you find appropriate ones? What, what have you kind of been mm-hmm. found most useful? And then in terms of getting. F- whatever feedback you get from them, like how do you kind of use it or mm-hmm. deal
1: with it? Um, I guess in terms of finding what, like, the, the best way or, like, the, the, the... I don't even know that it's the most effective, because, again, there's not a whole lot to choose from. Um, but the, where I've always started is looking into the publishing houses of books that I already really like. Uh, so if there's... Especially if there's anything a little bit more local rather than international that is doing something that I like I tend to follow very closely what what they are putting out from year to year uh, to see if what I'm working on is going to fit in well with with what they're sort of dealing with or or even if it fills a gap so like there's there's that little bit there of, of being aware of your market uh, and that just that comes down to uh, to, to looking into it to, to reading widely in that in that space. So uh, with horror like uh, for Canadian horror like you, you have to look at cheesing, which is sort of the dominant Canadian force in that in that genre they, they're definitely uh, they have sort of they noticed a lack and they filled it and, and so that's they've now like risen to this. Uh, to this space so that now they're so busy that they'll probably never get to talk to them but (laughs) Hmm. um, and then magazines are the same way so um, there's quite a few that have been around for a long time but those ones are of course the most uh, competitive and hard to get into Uh, and then there's ones that are are sort of in their mid stage they've been around five or ten years so they're stable but uh, they aren't they don't quite have the longevity. And there's few that are new, uh, that are just popping up, and uh, they may do really well, or they may be gone in six months. And it's just a matter of, uh, of pa- <clears throat> excuse me of, pa- of paying attention and kind of seeing uh, where authors you like, like where are their names turning up. Uh, are they editing for any of these places? So something with Canadian, pub- Canadian publishing is very, very small and very incestuous. So if there's any authors that you know or any that you like, chances are you will find the publishing house that they are an editor for or the magazine that they run or the, the school that they teach at. Um, and then you can stalk them and follow them that way <laughs> and, and sort of see where their stuff is turning up and uh, and just sort of make a judgment call of, of thinking, well, like, does it fit in there or not? Um, Do you think it's more advantageous nowadays to
0: publish in online or in print? Do you think there's... a what do you see as a difference mm-hmm.
1: or when you're looking around? Like, is that a consideration for yeah. you? It's hard to say. Um, I, I would absolutely publish uh, online. And anything that has appeared online has also appeared in print, so I haven't had like, the harsh decision. I would be leery about publishing online for free, uh, depending on the circumstance, but just because once it's published online, uh, then it counts as published, and then you can't ever get it picked up unless it's a reprint thing, uh, which can be tougher to sell uh, so, in in terms of like that version of it, like knowing the rules of of what counts as a reprint, what counts as original, uh, is is important. And uh, and then even like it, it's hard to say because some print stuff uh, <laughs> pay you ten bucks, and that that's. That's hardly worth it, but you never know. And like, there are online markets that uh, that do get attention, and even even big ones. Uh, so bigger uh, publishers like Tor have taken to doing a bunch of stuff that is is only available on their site. So they that that's actually a really good place for novellas, but they don't print them. Like they are sure. on they are on their website, but but Tor is one of the big one of the big names. Like you'll that, that will be, would be harder to get into and they would pay you uh, but then there's like Postscripts of Darkness is an online uh, horror mag that's quite good um, the, the Weird Fiction Review like the, the resurgence of w- Weird Fiction Review started out as online and then they went like it was a print magazine in uh, like the 40s and went under and then it went online again and that was Jeff and Ann Vandermeer yeah. and then they started printing it again uh, so it's I, it's just as important to, to just pay attention to uh, making sure that you're, the, the story is not going to get it, fall into like a rights limbo where you won't ever be able to put it anywhere else but in terms of like is it disadvantageous to publish online I don't think so
0: I think like the question is unanswerable in the sense that it depends on your goals like, like if your goal is to just have if your goal is I hate saying the word exposure because it gets used the wrong way, but it is easier to expose an um, online text. You can send a link to somebody. Uh, is there an advantage to publishing an online journal versus your own website? Uh, sometimes no. Uh, so sometimes you might as well just publish on your own website if your goal is simply have a link you can send Mm to people and like get quote-unquote exposure that way other times you know there are as you say online places that people read maybe they don't pay a lot or don't pay at all but but they are like once people do read Mm -hmm. and then it's like who do you want to read it like there's online journals that people read in the world and there's online journals that only editors read and you know, yeah. other writers read them. But maybe that's who you want reading your stuff, you know? I think it depends, like, what is your goal in terms of publishing it?
1: Yeah, I think in so, In print, too. you
0: tend to, like, say, like, print is, tends to still be more prestigious if, say, you're trying to apply for grants. Like, so if you're getting to the point where you want to get, like, you want to get, if you want to get to the point where you 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 want you can become eligible for a grant, well, then only certain online journals are going to matter. Only, you mm-hmm. know, print things will matter more just because there's a weird prestige bias still um if your goals are you know in terms of just getting the most readers well again like some venues online are great for that others are terrible for that you know Mm -hmm. Um, if your goal is to just have like a portfolio piece then you might as well just start your own website and put it there and then you just have a Mm -hmm. link like it just kind of depends your goal i think but i think the one big difference is if you're doing um if you're publishing a book that you want people to uh review you really have to do it in print with like with a traditional publisher even though self-publishing has come a long way and you can make good money self-publishing certain things that you cannot get reviewed in like anywhere significant still Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're also in print uh, and um with a traditional publisher it's yeah. it nearly impossible to get a, even a best-selling self-published book reviewed which again if that's your goal like it, so I think it's it just to kind of get into like what is your goal to answer questions like that
1: yeah for sure because then there's also like if your goal is to sell it and make then money. putting and just to make money off of it then putting it online is is you know that's a very bad idea but if it, say it's something that you know is not going to sell if it's a story about cannibal eating contests. Um, putting it on your website is is, like that's a really viable option to like have it out there and especially if you have like a weird ugly ducklings like black sheep story that is just very very strange uh, or that you can't seem to place because then you because then you never know if the right person might see it and they may not be able to buy that particular one but it may stir up some interest in screenwriting there's a weird phenomenon of
0: people writing spec scripts that are impossible to sell so like normally what it is is with a, the reason you write a spec script normally like which is a script you write on speculation that maybe you would sell it, as opposed to somebody hiring you to write a script uh, there's a weird phenomenon in screenwriting where people write spec scripts that you literally could not be sold like they'll, they'll write a sequel to like they'll write like write Terminator tan or they'll write I, I met a guy once who wrote cool runnings 2. um <laughs> But the thing is, and there's like a very famous—I forget the name of the son—is a very famous spec script that like is unfilmable because of how offensive it, the comedy is. But mm-hmm. the point of those is to get attention in the industry. Yeah. Um, like it's so, you know, far out there or so bombastic that people are just reading it as like a sample of what you can mm-hmm. do, and like there's no rules and there's no there's no like possibility it will be you know sold or made yeah so they feel really free to just do wild and crazy things and the idea is is you know as opposed to normal spec script the idea is just to get attention like you know who doesn't want to read terminators meets dinosaurs mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you could never sell that movie and no one would ever make it or whatever yeah like maybe you'll get like your name out there or something like so sometimes uh, i think like I I know that's a phenomenon, I don't know if it's still around, but it used to be a thing in film for a little while. It was like a phenomenon Mm -hmm. of people writing spec scripts that, like, they just knew they couldn't sell, but it was going to get them a job, maybe, or get them attention, um, and kind of make a name for, like, the the bombastic nature of the idea. Um, Although uh, this guy did sell Cool Runnings, (laughs) too, I don't think they, I can't remember if they made it or not, but uh, I know he sold Cool Runnings, too, it was like this weird claim to fame, he was an interesting cat.
1: Well, then, like, in, in self-publishing... Too. Now I can't remember his name. Well, there was a question
0: about self-publishing. Maybe just, and it's
1: uh, it's going to ruin the story, but, like, similar to that, there's the guy who self-publishes on Amazon who has all the really weird oh, um, gay John erotica. Rock. Oh,
0: no, sorry, that's a different guy.
1: Yeah, and, and, it, and it's, like, pounded in the butt by my own Nebula Award kind of stuff. Like <laughs> it, It's so ridiculous. And, like, he, he churns out, like, 10 of these books a day. They're all, like, 1,200 words. Do you know um, much and about self-publishing? Ludicrous. There's, there's, there's a question about whether some of the pros and cons of self-publishing. Um, I haven't self-published anything my, myself. Um, uh, the the cons are definitely like it's it's harder to get the the quote unquote legitimate uh, attention. So it's hard to get reviewed. Uh, anything you self-published, then traditional publishers will not go near it unless you're Andy Weir. Or El James, kind of weird examples, and, and like, sell like tens of millions, and all of a sudden they want a piece of it, and then they'll buy it. Uh, uh, but in, but you're right that there are lots of people who who make decent money at it and and can make it viable. But it's a lot of it's a lot of work. It's a lot of not writing work uh, to get to that point. Like there's a lot of of understanding markets and uh, even. Uh, software programming to, to know how to make your own ebooks properly and
0: I think people to realize about self-publishing is that it is people often think well oh, I'm circumventing publishers like you know I don't need to have somebody pick me I don't need mm-hmm. to be picked up by a gatekeeper like the idea being that you know well I'm not going to um, wait you know uh, you know I'm, I'm I know that I've got something here even I'm not gonna like I don't need somebody else to recognize, and so on. Uh, Often, like, there's other reasons people do it, but, like, often I see people are interested in self-publishing because of the idea that they don't have to deal with a publisher. What they don't realize, though, is they have to become a publisher. Like, what self-publishing means is you are a publishing company. You're no longer really a writer in many respects. Mm, You're You're competing with the publisher. You're now competing with other publishers, and you are... uh, you know you're paying for everything like i think it's i've seen it and i know people who have done it um very successfully Mm -hmm. uh you know and there are some great examples and great reasons to do it but the thing you have to really think about if you're going to self-publish is one uh, again you have to kind of figure out like well why do you want to do it like what's your goal if your goal is uh like, because you can make more money self-publishing, uh, you know, with the same amount of sales, like, say you sell, you know, the same amount of books publishing with a traditional publisher or self-publishing, you know, with self-publishing, you could make a shockingly high amount of money versus a very tiny amount of money, maybe. Uh, like, you know, you're kind of getting, like, instead of 10%, maybe, of royalty, mm-hmm. you, you could be getting upwards of, you know, 50 70%. But... Uh, you're also doing all this outlay of money which you like with a traditional publisher one of the other things questions is related to like how you recognize like legitimate publisher one of the ways you recognize a non-legitimate publisher is that you have to pay the money yeah uh, you should never you know be putting out money uh, typically
1: mm-hmm. um, mm. but to a publisher. if you want to hire your publisher. own editor or something like that it's different but if anyone in order to publish needs upfront money that's a scam
0: Like, when you're self-publishing, like, the big con of it, the the pro of it is basically control. You know, you have now total control of a project, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is often a con, (laughs) frankly. Yeah. Because a lot of times you shouldn't be in control of things. Like, you think you should pick a cover, but you shouldn't. You think Mm -hmm. you should be in charge of, you know, this, but you shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, But, you know, but you do have, like, the option of creative control. That's a big pro. You usually have... creative control for the most part with a traditional publisher anyway. But um, mm-hmm. the big con of self publishing is you are now a publishing company and you are in a marketplace competing with other publishing companies. And you are small potatoes. And you're not and you're new and mm-hmm. you know the costs can be very low. Like if you're not doing print books for example and you're only doing ebooks, well your upfront costs might be relatively small. Uh, but if you want to like but now you got to have a marketing machine. Like, you know, you have all these associated costs that you're not thinking about. Or you just have the difficulty of, you know, you are a publicist now. You're a publisher yeah. now. You're also a business manager now. you got to file taxes. You need a business license. You need to do all these things. you got to send copies to libraries and archives Canada. you got to get an ISBN number. Like, you just basically are in business of publishing. And so if you don't want to be, um... Mm-hmm that's an issue personally I think like I have done some self-publishing projects and I'm, I'm looking to do more um, but I think the future personally is like kind of a hybrid model where you are both publishing with traditional publishers and doing certain self-publishing projects and you have a kind of a quote-unquote business model mm-hmm. that incorporates a variety of things but it's yeah. you know it, but you know I think it's very much you know a business decision and not uh, something to just do if that makes sense.
1: No it's something you need to know what you're getting into and uh, like I don't know a lot of people who have self-published successfully I know a fair few who have self-published unsuccessfully and usually their desire to do it was they didn't want to deal with a traditional publisher was because they had been rejected by a traditional publisher and they, uh, they didn't want to take the advice of being told that what you have is not perfect and it needs work, and so they just decide, well, no, it's golden and I will just put it out in the world and I will reap the rewards. So I know someone who had a book uh, that was picked up but needed to be edited and she pulled it and self published it herself rather than edit it to a traditional publisher's specifications mm-hmm. and it's just like the ego on you like they, they they are a company that you're not the only person they've public like they've got this figured out the fact that you wouldn't They want, don't really <laughs> some of them do yeah, they do and they don't right for sure but there is a little bit there of uh, of 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 learning how to do it and and accepting some humility that you you don't know how to do everything so uh, if you get to the point where you really do know what you're doing and you want to take it on as a serious project, and absolutely, like have at it. And there are lots of like the the hybrid you're talking about can work and is working for a few. So like a a big na- horror name that does that is Adam Neville uh, from the UK. That he's published a bunch of fairly big novels, and then uh, the movie, uh, the Netflix movie, The Ritual, is one of his. So he makes hmm. tremendous novel deals. But uh, he has three books of short stories that no one wanted, so he self-published them, and he did really, really well. But he had this great fan base that he could all like. He already had all these people who bought his books already. So then, when he put it out there, like they lapped it up, and yeah, like you're right, like his his cut of those royalties was way higher than dealing with a traditional publisher but he had this foundation already built because he had he had worked for years selling novels through traditional publishing yeah you don't necessarily make a lot
0: of money selling books through a traditional publisher like uh but basically like if you think you're going to make money selling books you got a real eye-opening experience ahead of you you know like where you make money i like to joke that the um like with when i publish a poetry book i make more money in reading from the book for 15 minutes uh like than i do like publishing the book typically or like i'll get more i've made more money the most money i've made for creative project is a novel the crow murders that i've have not published i have made over a hundred thousand dollars in grants scholarships uh various you know things related to people who want me to (laughs) publish and finish this book yeah and it's uh, time
1: John you got to finish this damn book
0: well <laughs> I, I'm gonna start like publishing it um, very very soon <laughs> but it but you know it, it's ridiculous like the ratio of like what a book would sell get, get, make mm-hmm. you versus like how much money you get paid to go talk to somebody because you wrote a book you yeah know, like so I think you gotta I think there's a there's a sort of level of There's a way that you can see a book as like a a business card in a sense um, and like a marketing piece as well as like being an artistic object. And I I think it's it's just more interesting to to me to like think of a book as like an experience I want a reader to have Mm -hmm. and a thing I want them to engage with. And so I don't I give away a lot of books. Like a lot of my books, I, I will buy hundreds of books from the publisher. Like, I just bought 200 copies, 300 copies of The Politics of Nice not too long ago, my third book, um, from the publisher, and I just, you know, I give them out, I sell them to people for, like, three bucks, you know, and whatever else. I pay like, two bucks each for these copies, and then, um, you know, once in a while I'll sell one for, like, a full price, but for the most part, I, you know, just kind of want people to engage with them, you know, and it's not so much to me about selling books. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think when you get in a headspace of, I got to sell books, I got to sell books, I think it's a dangerous headspace to be in because now you're marketing to everybody you meet and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, um, you do want people to read these books, you know, and you don't want your publishers losing money on the books and stuff. So I think there's a nice, like, middle space where if you see, like, your money coming from things around the books and you use the books as, like, a way into, like, What else you're doing? um, I think it it helps you not be a marketer so much as like a person who's like, you know, trying to like legitimately get people connected to your book. But it also Mm. like helps you, um, and and it helps you to not stress about things like how much money I'm gonna make on this book or what's my advance gonna be or whatever else. Yeah. And you can just worry instead about writing cool, weird books. Like my, my my thing personally was always I'm gonna try to do the strangest thing. Like that interests me. I'm not going to try to water anything down ever. Um, so the downside of that is, you know, it, you're very niche in a certain sense. You know, your marketability is maybe, you know, difficult uh, for people. The strength of it is, you know, you, you know those people who really want what you're doing will kind of have a deeper connection to it. And so I think, like at that point, at least for the stuff I've been doing i feel like there's a level at which it's more important to just connect to a person than sell a book and the book's like this conduit for an experience uh, if that makes sense and so like to me everything sort of should go around that sort of um I know it's kind of an abstract way of talking about it, but I think like any decision you make about like how you try to promote your work or how you, mm-hmm. where you publish or what you do should kind of revolve around, whether you're self-publishing or not, I think it should kind of revolve around what are you trying to create as an experience for like a person who's engaging mm-hmm. with your work rather than like, am I going to get 10% or 15% of the sales or whatever? Yeah. You know?
1: yeah it's true like it's well with anything artistic like you have to examine your motivations and like are you doing it to connect to another person or to provide this experience or to make money because if if you just want to make money there are way more lucrative ways I think it's fine to (laughs) want to make money I just think it's like it would be a great bonus to (laughs) to write this great book that you're proud of and to to make money off of it like that it would be but that's but what's the realistic because well here's another question related to that
0: like, where do you actually get your money from? <laughs> like, maybe you don't want to answer that question, but how do you make your living? Yeah. Is it just writing or do you have other sources of income? Like,
1: no, I've got, uh, I've got the day job happening. So I, w- I get to work in the arts, which is good. And so there's a lot, like, a lot of people end up teaching, which was my goal for, for a while. And I've ended up in, in another job that, uh, that takes up too much time. So I stopped teaching. But uh, I work in the office for uh, the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. So I'm still connected to the literary community. I get a lot of free books, which is great. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a supplementary income because. Um, but it, it parla- so having this book out means that I can apply for other grants. It means I might be asked to speak somewhere and get paid to do that. Uh, it, it might mean getting to write articles uh, for something else. Uh, I very briefly was a scriptwriter for a true crime show that was cancelled um, so like it, it can parlay into these other interesting opportunities but like if, if your goal is to be like a writer as you're living y- you are going to make that up from a lot of different projects like it, it's, it's very rarely that you're going to be able to just do one type of thing and make money off of it but you can certainly cobble together enough work to make a living by being a writer but then you have to You have to treat it like a job. You're gonna end up writing a bunch of stuff that you don't really want to write, but you do it for money. So you write—I don't know—shitty opinion pieces or (laughs) online your shitty opinions. (laughs) (laughs) That's my that's my column's name. (laughs) (laughs) My shitty opinions with Keith Cato. Um, (laughs) Cato. But uh, it's it's more that it's it's the discipline of it, and so uh, I, I have a day job so that I, I can eat food and have a place to write because the writing is not doing it, <laughs> so. uh, money-wise. But I get a lot of fulfillment out of having written that book and having sold it and getting to talk to people about it like that. That feels really good. Like That's that's better than working at, uh, at Walmart.
0: I feel like, weirdly, it's people think too much about money and not enough about money. Like, I think when people are... It, like for an individual pro- say you write a book I think people worry too much about how much money can I make on this book where's the publisher like is there, can I get a big deal can I do this can I do that What? maybe I should try an agent maybe I should try a non-agent Like, maybe I should self-publish maybe I shouldn't I think like people on one hand kind of worry too much about money like for like a specific project but on mm-hmm. the other hand I think they don't worry enough about money in terms of like um, again like the book as a thing that could actually make you some money but I think usually it's making money in indirect ways. I think people need to think more about like the indirect ways they make money around their writing mm. and more about and, and less about like exploiting their money, <laughs> their writing for money. And I, I find whenever I talk to somebody who um, you know, ha- has managed to make a good amount of money writing is typically because they are just engaged in a process of writing and they're doing a lot of stuff and um, some of it makes some money, some of it doesn't. But then around that, they've got all these things that, like, because they've published this book, they can do this thing or that thing. They go do a speaking gig. They go do, you know, um, mm. yeah, teach a course, uh, you know, or whatever. And, like, like personally, like, I have years where... Last year, I made a little over half my money writing. Uh, the year before that, I made, you know, almost no money writing. The year before that, you know, I made... You know i don't know a third of my money writing i've had years where i've made um most of my money writing you know uh but it, it's very much that kind of the problem with writing is cash flow mm-hmm. like it's problem is like like for i've sure. had months where i made thirty thousand dollars in that month and then i had another then like i don't make any money for seven months yeah. <laughs> you know
1: so it's yeah. like you kind of well, have to be very careful about your cash flow, you and do. so you we're d- like, you need like, this business sense. And even for a book that has a big, if you were to get a big deal, let's say you got a hundred thousand yeah. dollar book deal. Well, what if it took you six years to write that damn book?
0: Yeah, and, and you maybe weren't you'll never getting
1: anything. Get you might not ever get anything after that. I
0: used to talk be in, the, in music, and, and well, you were talking about music before this class. Being, and I remember once talking to a woman who um, she was kind of uh, in charge of giving the band like she's the point person who like would deliver the money to the band and like would kind of interact with them around a lot of various business kind of things mm-hmm. like and, and she was like you, you this is a weird experience where like you you tell somebody here's like five million dollars and they're like i'm rich they're like no you're not rich <laughs> you have to make that last for 10 years you know <laughs> plus mm-hmm. you gotta pay all these people you know (laughs) you know it's like you're not rich like don't go buy a new house like don't go you maybe Mm -hmm. got five million dollars but it's you know it's not as much money as it seems like it is you know and like i've seen one of the things people don't realize about like big advances which are very rare now like those big advances can kill your career you could you know be Mm -hmm. destroyed entirely and never publish again uh if you take too Mm -hmm. big an advance
1: yeah, well, like, you're, you're right to point that out, because part of the reason that the advances are getting smaller is if the publisher loses money on your advance, that that's basically what makes you blacklisted. Like, if you don't sell enough copies to, to buy out your advance... Like, that's where the advance comes. It's an advance on your royalties. So it's not, here's money for your book. Here's an amount of money we're anticipating we're going to make off the book, and here's your cut. And if you don't get that high... They are not signing you for another one,
0: and maybe no one else will
1: and ever. Maybe no everyone else because everyone knows you got this big advance. Everybody knows that, yeah. and so uh, you, you had mentioned. Well, I, I can't you remember can the publishing come back from house, it, but it's rare. Um, I can't remember the publishing house that did it, but they paid Jay Leno this oh, giant advance. Yeah, so and no one wanted his book, so they just ate that cost. Right, and then Well, my all friend the other had her con-
0: contract cancelled yeah. uh, for a book of hers that was going to come out, and then they just tried to get the advance back from her, which, of course, she didn't give them. You know, you don't yeah. have to return the advance under any conditions. For sure. Unless you screw up and don't do something. But, like, yeah. in that case, you know, so right So big,
1: big advances are, are misleading. Like, they, they, they're very rarely uh, a super good sign. Like, you may luck out and get one, and everything will be fine, but you'd more... Uh, you want your film option <laughs> more than you want your big advance or, or made, residuals yeah. <laughs> or something. Um, like there's, those are other things that end up getting you paid money for your work. And
0: Maybe will do one more publishing question then take a little break. How, how did you break into publishing? Is there a point in publishers begin to recognize you and want to publish you? What do you think about that question? Do you, uh, you probably get that question a fair amount. I get the question a lot. How did you break into publishing? Yeah. And like, is there a H- point have where I, I recognize you? <laughs> I don't think you can break into publishing. Like that's, yeah. uh, you know, I'll let you maybe ask the question, but.
1: Um, well, my my story is sort of a, a cop-out because mine wasn't particularly hard. I really lucked out. Um, so I did, Gaze was my uh, creative master's thesis um, that I wrote, wrote this novella as as part of my degree and uh, I, I sent it out, and it was picked up by a publisher before I graduated, which almost really screwed me over because you cannot graduate with a published work. So I had to cu- get them to hold it a couple of weeks so <laughs> that I could graduate. So, um, but that was, uh, that was the first thing I ever sent out. He means like your master's thesis can't be published prior to prior to graduating like being your master's thesis yeah, yeah. so it's it, it, so I had written it I had my defense all set up sent it away they took it and they're, and they're like well here's our publishing date and I was like well your graduation like yeah. you can't no <laughs> tell them to stop uh, so I just they had to hold it but and like there's I've, I've been rejected since but <laughs> that that was the first thing I sent out and that that is so fluky <laughs> that that it would be picked up and, and actually, uh, and because it was a novella, which is, again, something that is sort of hard to find, but there's a small publishing house in Toronto called Quattro Books, and that's all they pu- all they publish is novellas. Are they um, still around? Quite yeah, yeah really. they're still around. They've won a few awards, not for mine, <laughs> but Uh, So, yeah, that that was, like, the weird... Do you think people
0: break into publishing, though? Like, I I get asked that a lot, and people have this idea that there's a certain point where you break into publishing. I don't believe that's true.
1: I don't think so, either, because I've heard too many... I've heard enough stories about people who broke and then disappeared and then had to claw their way back. So you have, like, Craig Davidson, who had... um, I Had this short story collection come out that did really really well, sold the film rights to a to a French company, made a like made a huge deal, Uh, and then had a novel, uh, or no that like that and that was nominated for the Giller Prize, Uh, and he had all these accolades and everyone's like he's broken into publishing, he's a big deal. Second book came out, no one cared, oh like the worst failure, and then like he was dropped from his publisher, he lost his agent, like all these things that he had horror under yeah like everything he had built up was yanked out from under him and he just basically perseverance he's just a tough headed guy he just kept working anyway, and now he's come. Craig Davidson, the name has come back. Like he's he's doing very very well, and then he also publishes as, as Nick Cutter, and he had another pseudonym before that. Yeah. So he, he's more like he's an embodiment of the grind. Like he didn't break into anything. He worked at it and worked, worked at it and worked at it. Now I, you sort of have to deal with them.
0: I think you kind of have to break into publishing every time you do something again. So it's so it's kind of like you like every time there's a wall you have to push through and yes there are publishers if you work with them maybe they want to work with you again mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons but sometimes they don't like, uh, like the story I like to tell <laughs> about, do, is there a point where people getting recognized and want to publish you yes sort of like you get fans basically and like some of the fans will become publishers or editors mm-hmm. so they'll like request like hey can you send something to my journal i'm editing it now i really like your stuff and you'll send it to them and then sometimes then often they'll publish it But even then you'll get a rejection sometimes yeah um uh my favorite story about this is when when you start to meet people also think oh you, you know you meet make all these friends you get these connections as you were saying like it's a very incestuous sort of literary community in Canada, especially. But it doesn't necessarily help as much as you think. Like, my mm-hmm. favorite story is my first book, um, uh, uh, book, th- book Thug published my first book. But before that, I had sent it to some other publishers who rejected it. It got rejected for three years. And then I sent it to Coach House Books and uh, Alana Wilcox, who was, you know, I, I knew her already. Uh, and actually, we were... Back in the days of like Facebook words with friends, we were like playing this version of Scrabble over Facebook together. And I like, I'm like I'll send my book to Atlanta. Like I, you know, and uh, she had just kind of, I just kind of gotten to know her a bit more, and like we met her a few times. We had gotten kind of friendly online and whatever. So anyway, I send my book to her, and you know, uh, and we're playing with words with friends like regularly at this point, right? And so there's, and she rejected the book. And so there's literally a moment in the uh, in her life where, like I make my move on words with friends and then she like makes her move. then she writes me a rejection letter <laughs> and meanwhile I'm making my move. and then she like you know mails off the rejection letter or whatever and then makes her move <laughs> you know and and then that publisher, but then she did publish my second book um, you know and then later on like uh, and then I published a third another I published another book with them they published the fallout book, my third book. Um, but then I sent them and they've got I've got another book coming out next year with House uh, Books but then I sent them another book and they're like you know I like it a lot but you know we just we can't publish this book for various like you know real reasons yeah. it's like a short story book and they're like you know we, they can only publish so many short story books you know uh, they don't sell it well enough they'd already got their short story lineup and something so they kind of like so she rejected it again so yeah. at that point I'm getting rejected by somebody who I you know I'm friends with you know get along really well with they published two of my other books. Um, yes. uh, so I sent the book to somebody else. Uh, you know, Book Thug, who had published my first book, is going to be my second book with them. And then I sent my... So then, on the heels of her rejecting my book, I sent her another book that they accepted. You know? <laughs> it's... Yeah. It, you know, so you're kind of always... Even when you have a really good relationship with publishers like that, mm-hmm. um, like both as publishers I have, you know, great relationships with and everything... Uh, And I've got, you know, books coming out with them now. But even that, then, you know, you're getting, like, rejected just because that's what happens. Like, sometimes it has nothing to do with you, and sometimes it has nothing to do with them. It's just what's going on. And other times, you know, it's just they don't have the enthusiasm necessarily that, you know, they want to have or whatever. You know, and so you're always kind of starting over in many ways, even if you are... Even if there's a little bit of a head start you're still kind of running a new race every time you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Every, every project is its own thing and then there's people too like the the breakthrough idea that they've gotten one of the big like one of the big five they get one book through them and then they never want to publish with a big publisher ever again they didn't like it so they go back and start going through the micro presses again that's something that's happening a lot now, because uh, like Penguin Random House and, and Simon and Schuster, their mandate for the amount that they want to sell in order to make money is ludicrous. So like if if they're only going to take you if you're going to sell three hundred thousand copies, uh, you're not selling three hundred thousand copies in Canada with your first book. Like you're just not. But Stephen King will. So they'll put all their money into optioning the Stephen King book, and and like they put all their money in cookbooks. And Norwegian grillers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's making money right now. Uh so then you like you have people who have had really big releases who who essentially do start over and they go through the smaller presses again. Even
0: Stephen King, I a little while ago I was reading a short story book by Stephen King and he has those little notes in the back of like you know yeah. little he has a little like paragraph about the story and where it came from and all this stuff. I remember reading one of those and it was like a Few years ago, only um, so you know he's massive mm-hmm. s- still. He's you know maybe bigger than he's ever been, almost other than like when the 80s. But um, he and, and they'll notice like this story was rejected by whatever, and so I sent it here. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what <laughs> you're Stephen King, like mm-hmm. at the height of your powers, biggest one of the biggest authors on earth, and yeah. they're still rejecting him every now and again, you know, yeah, so. You know, at that point, you could just self-publish it. He he's done self-publishing experience also. Yeah,
1: but like he would benefit from a few people telling him no. Also, though. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It depends. Every now and then. But he, he's also one of those guys who, like, I
0: I mean, he you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting. Um, it is a weird. I think it's a weird sort of myth that there's like a point where you break in and like things are easier. Well, I think things just get harder and harder and harder. Yeah in many ways. How uplifting.
1: One of the first classes, you, you, you talked about
0: uh, your process, how you get into the zone uh, when you're going to write, so I, I'm
1: curious
0: do mm-hmm. you have any weird sort of routines that you...
1: Um, it sort of depends on the... Pro- it, it's sort of changed project to project. Um, I'm sort of in a uh, a bit of a uh, funk at the moment because I'm in the middle of moving and that's too stressful (laughs) so I haven't I haven't been writing very much lately but uh when I wrote the the novella it was very much like like late at night I wouldn't I wouldn't even start till like 10 o'clock at night and I would write in the dark and stay up till like two or three in the morning um then when I ended up uh with my partner she didn't like that I never went to sleep (laughs) so that changed um and then yeah like it uh I guess like one thing in terms of like zone or or uh, repeatable processes, I tend to start out longhand. Like I'll, I'll actually write by hand in a notebook, type it up, write it out longhand again, type it up again, and like that's sort of my drafting process. I know a lot of people will do it on j- just straight on the computer and, and edit and go back, and I find it more effective to 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 dump it all out in its entirety and then go back and. And, and mark it up, and then as I retype it up again, it, it changes quite a bit. Uh, but in terms of like, I don't have the same kind of uh, agalock or like, how do you pronounce agalok? I don't know how to say the name. Um, I think it's I, agalock I don't quite have the the Pavlov's dog response for uh, for my creativity. I'm, I'm I'm interested to try it, but I'm leery of the the years of listening to that same album that you put in Can to I, uh, train your brain. You about that? Yeah.
0: yeah, you played us the beginning.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, it's the
0: same beginning same yeah. songs in the same order all the time I can't listen to them for fun anymore and they're a good mm. band, that's the, that's the tragedy of it all
1: yeah. yeah, so like there, there's I've tried a lot of different approaches um, I, but I haven't settled on just, just one I guess um, I did the uh, the track I had a spreadsheet for a while to like keep track of how much I was doing and then I sort of wimped out on doing that <laughs> yeah I don't know it's I, hard I don't to have do a good, the same thing consistently it, yeah you know, like that I, nice I finally get tired it. of it and then I have to mix it up And that if I keep doing the same thing for too long and I actually sort of start to dread doing it and then I just sort of put it off for too long Um
0: what do you do? And do you ever feel blocked? That's a big question people often have. Is you know, do you feel blocked, or do you you know believe in writer's block, etc.? Mm. Uh,
1: yeah, like I def- like like I said, so there definitely peaks and valleys. Um, the the best way to sort of get through that for me is I, I know you you've you've done this and sworn off doing this, but I have more than one project on the go at at the time. Like I usually have more than one story. I, I have short works and a longer work. Uh, so if I get really stuck on one, then I, I will jump ship and start d- just to get progress on something. I'll, I'll work on something else until I sort of work back around, and that, that kind of rotation has served me pretty well to actually keep going. It means every piece is taking for friggin' ever to finish, because I only do little bits of it, and then I jump onto something else, so it's not, it's not very good for actual productivity, but maybe in a, in a year or so, I'll have so many things done all at once who knows it, it could work out in my favor <laughs> I mean
0: I try I've been doing it lately and it's a mistake
1: uh, but it does work better than doing
0: nothing you right yeah. like so where I find I, I've just had to do recently because I've been taking on all this additional freelance work or even if it's whether it's creative or not creative like mm-hmm. you know nonfiction or whatever or editing work but because I've been doing like so much uh, even technically this, te- this teaching is technically freelance work, because I don't have a job. Like, I'm a writer who does additional Mm -hmm. teaching now and again. But um, it's very disruptive to me to do multiple things. But it's better than not doing anything.
1: Yeah, it is. Or or sometimes, too, like, I'll I'll go back to stuff that, uh, like, consuming media that I really like or that has has really pushed me that, like, I want to do something like that. Uh, I'll, I'll re-read stuff that I really like or I'll re-watch a, a series that, that really gets me feeling more creative and want, like, wanting to sort of rise to that level. So like, um, I'll watch uh, Hannibal, which is like one of my favorite shows. I just think it's, it's so well done and I find it so intricate, so I'll watch it very, very carefully and trying to pick apart just how it's put together. And that uh, gets me thinking about, about my own stuff and taking it apart that that carefully, and sometimes that can be a, a good, uh, like a like a jump start, is to to get really get into consuming uh, an artistic product that you that you really like. How do you? This is the last maybe question um,
0: that is written down, uh, which is how do you create an idea that hasn't thought about already. Um, or if you're another question that kind of related this is like how do you know if you're getting drawing influence from other things how do you know whether you're just ripping them off (laughs) like like where's the line there you know between like taking influence and kind of ripping somebody off and like doing something that's kind of like the things you love versus something that's kind of more interesting or original to you
1: Yeah. yeah that's tougher like in terms of is are you ever going to have an absolutely 100% original idea no one's ever had that idea before no you can't or <laughs> you're you wouldn't not recognize
0: it as literature yeah. or
1: whatever right so it's all a matter of putting a putting a twist on it uh, and making it different enough that it that it comes out as, as original and uh, like it uh, sort of like when i like there was certainly a period of time where I was was definitely a sponge for writing manuals and writing advice and like just trying to take in as much as possible uh, and and parsing out like over time i parsed out what was good and what's not and what does apply but I've definitely come across a a subset of, of writers or people who think about writing who cut themselves off from other ideas in order to not be contaminated by them and I think that's bullshit that yeah is, that is the worst idea and that just fuels your own like i think you're more likely to rip stuff off if you create that vacuum because you're not actually engaging with what's out there and so you're not subverting what already exists like you're not even trying but that's yeah. to to get around ideas that already exist because you're not even acknowledging them
0: it sounds paradoxical but, it, but like cutting yourself off from quote-unquote influences by like you're not paying a lot of attention to the genre you're working in or whatever like it's, it's paradoxically a good way to rip people like to, to be unoriginal because mm-hmm. you think you're being super original but you don't know that everybody's dead that thing's dead and over yeah <laughs> you know like people were doing that five years ago you think you just invented it
1: yeah you know what you don't realize is like yeah. things are just in the air and I think you're much more likely to unconsciously rip mm-hmm. off something like that in that instance rather than soaking in as much as you can um, getting outside like if it's something in terms of like you want a really original idea genre wise or you want to do something different uh, going outside your genre while you're working can be a really good way to, to find ideas that work in other genres or in other, other story types and trying to apply them to what you're doing like that would be a good way to actually expand it and look for tropes or elements that are different and incorporate them that way.
0: Well, and people we recognize as originals, like people who we look at their work and say, these people are unlike everyone else. They're really unique. They're really creative. If you really look closely, those people are just combining things. Like, it's like a guy like the Gaudi is, he's working in the mold of somebody like Lovecraft, but he's avoiding specific aspects of what Lovecraft's doing. He's bringing in parts of what Kafka's doing you know somebody who has nothing to do really with weird fiction but it's kind of related to the fantastic in various ways he's pulling in like stylistic uh, elements from other people like uh, you know um, there's a, I forget the name of this guy but there's an old strange writer from like well before Lovecraft that is very similar stylistically to Lagotti in some ways Mm -hmm. um he talks about him in the modern weird till he's like somebody that nobody really remembers anymore um so often like the real quote-unquote originals if you actually look really close like they're just doing something better than everybody else and they're kind of combining like disparate elements from multiple areas um or they're subverting Something uh, that is already there, like McCarthy, you were talking mm. about earlier. Um, you know, uh, and they're not, I, I can think of very few examples where somebody is like inventing a thing. Oh, but it, and if it seems like they are, they're all, like David Markson's a person who kind of invented a genre of no, the novel. Markson writes these weird genres called these weird novels that are just like trivia fragments about other artists <laughs> and like in between like every fifth or sixth page there'll be like a tiny little two lines of like narrative and then it's just a bunch of trivia fragments of like Picasso you know painted a crow once <laughs> you know <laughs> and like it, but and just weird novels that like don't have anything really that a normal novel has it's more like a nonfiction genre in many ways um but they have like these minimal elements it's almost like the minimal elements of what constitutes a novel and then like all this other stuff from like nonfiction genres thrown in there but then and like the syntax is weird so he's the only like modern writer i can think of offhand who has kind of created his own genre that nobody else is really writing in and he's you know not writing it anymore of course now either because he died um but at the same time you can point to all the places that like he got this idea from this person he connected this person and this person and that thing and that thing and he arrived at this uh and, and you know it it's always that sort of uh, mm-hmm. thing where it's like this person is kind of really com- if you look closely and you knew the history like they're combining things rather than and that's what creation is in so many ways mm-hmm. um uh, maybe one last question or some last thoughts. One last question for Keith. How about your last thoughts? Why do you? Uh, what do you? How do you want to be remembered, Keith? If I, <laughs>
1: um,
0: <laughs> as a writer, you know, as a writer, this is go
1: back to the original question of like the horror. Like, why mm-hmm. horror? Like, what is the appeal to you yeah. of horror? Um, I really like to be unsettled. Like, that's that's my what draws me to horror. Um, so it, yeah like a lot of stuff that I really like so like with, with Legati, like what I really like is just it, it sort of leaves you a little bit shook up and like there's there's horror that I enjoy that is like more the jump scare of the monsters and those, those are more fun but you're not quite rattled um, and so that's just where where my mind tends to go I guess I just I, I joke that I have a nefarious brain uh, I'm just very mistrusting of everybody, and always look like I, uh, I don't believe in the best in people <laughs> most of the time. Uh, so I, I I like sort of delving into the the dark place, like in terms of like the long thought, like really thinking through. The, the, and it's not like, for me, it's not a nihilistic thing. It doesn't make me want, not want to live anymore. I just sort of <laughs> go down that way. I find it interesting to explore that avenue of it. And so something like the conspiracy against the human race, which is this work of philosophy that it's basically, the idea is we're always told that life is inherently good, that to be alive is better than to be dead. And the whole... It's the Gaudi book, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And the, the whole reason behind this book is like, well, what if it's not? Like, why do we assume that? And it's like, well, that's interesting. And, it's and why should the human race extinguish itself? Yeah. Like, that's the actual. The
0: traces, like, the philosophical history of pessimism, mm-hmm. the idea that the human race should extinguish itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, because if life it's is very, not inherently good and it's suffering then the best, the most humane thing to do would be to stamp it out entirely, make it stop. That's, I find that a very interesting thought experiment. It's not actually what I hope will become of the world. Um, so, I, but I do, en- like, I enjoy, I, I like seeing the the gray areas of the world and, like, the dark stuff set, tends to explore that a little bit more uh, thoroughly. And in terms of, like, writing it out, uh is a really great way to explore those ideas, but in terms of sharing those ideas, it may be the little sadistic part of me, but I love being told that I creep someone out. I think that makes me feel great.
0: <laughs> great. Well, uh, Creepy Keith, uh, thanks for visiting. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, round of applause. Thanks,
1: everyone. <laughs> thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Creepy Keith. That was my second part of the interview with Keith. Uh, again, if you haven't really heard the first part, you can go uh, find that at writingtherongway.com. Uh, thank you, Keith. Thank you for listening. Um, please uh, do me a favor. Subscribe to this podcast. Give it a rating. Give it a review. Those things really help make this uh, podcast discoverable to other people. It helps us move up in the rankings, or even just you know helps the um, search find things. When you type in writing, you know, no one's going to be typing in the wrong way. Uh, but, you know, writing gets a little more um, competition. Thank you again uh, for listening. Um, keep writing the wrong way. And we'll talk to you next week.